Hi, I'm Isa Kwonga. And I'm Ryan Hun. And we co-host Stadio, a football podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. If you like soccer or football, make sure you search for Stadio, a football podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's The Bear, starring Jeremy Allen White, Ayo Adebri, and Eben Moss Backrack. Season two follows as the crew work to transform their grimy sandwich joint into a next level spot. It turns out the only thing harder than running a restaurant is opening a new one. Television Academy members can watch all episodes at fxnetworks.com slash FYC. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. It is Wednesday, January 11th. It's one of the hardest jobs in Hollywood these days, convincing people to show up in theaters for something other than a big Marvel movie or Avatar. It's even harder to convince young people to show up. We've talked about the reasons a lot on this show, of course, the competition from streaming and gaming, COVID and all the other stuff. But it does happen, often in the horror genre. And it happened this past weekend. Megan, the killer robot doll movie, opened to 30.4 million on a production budget of 12 million. The biggest opening for the first weekend in January in a decade. So how'd that happen? Well, the movie's good. 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. I saw it last night. I liked it. Horror is not really my thing, but definitely fun. But it also had a great marketing campaign that connected the young people and delivered an opening weekend audience that was nearly half people under 25 years old, according to the exit surveys. Universal really leaned into the camp factor here, the memeability of this well-dressed killer doll, and the studio plugged the crap out of it on social channels. Is that all it takes these days, though? Movie marketing by meme? It's kind of a yes and no answer. It's not really that simple, and the release calendar is littered with failures of studios when they try this stuff. They almost seem like your grandpa trying to market to you. That coveted audience doesn't automatically show up. That's why I wanted to have Michael Moses on the show. Michael's the chief marketing officer at Universal Pictures. We've known each other for years. He's in charge of all film marketing for the studio. That means advertising, research, publicity, creative content, and yes, campy TikTok videos. It's a big swath of movies, everything from $100 million campaigns for Jurassic World or Fast and Furious, reaching families for the Illumination movies, awards plays like The Fablemans this year, and horror movies, lots of horror movies. Universal's in business with Blumhouse, Jordan Peele, and other top genre filmmakers has one of the best batting averages in horror. And I think that's because Michael and his team are some of the smartest people when it comes to how to market to younger audiences and convincing them to show up in theaters. So today we're talking Megan, horror movies, and marketing to Gen Z. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Michael Moses, the Chief Marketing Officer of Universal Pictures. Welcome, Michael. Hey, thanks for uh, having me, Matt. So we're going to talk today a little bit about marketing of movies. And I think this is a, a topic that people think they know a lot about because you see the ads, you see, you know, the stuff that's being presented, the materials, the posters, the trailers, everything. And you're like, oh, okay, I, I get what studios do to market movies, but it's way more complicated than that. And you've been at the forefront, especially when it comes to horror movies. 
And I want to get into that today because you just had a big success. Megan opened to $30.4 million, And the numbers on this were really surprising to me. Not surprising, I guess, in the sense that horror does well in January because it's done well in January and other times of the year for a long time. Uh, but in a market that is considered very difficult to lure young people, you got almost half of the audience here under 25 to show up. So take us through the marketing campaign for this one and how you, you know, you've got a killer doll movie from Blumhouse, which has a well-known brand in horror and James Wan, who's also a big horror producer, their partners now. He did Annabelle, another killer doll movie. So start at the beginning and tell us how you sell this one. Look, I think you hit it, Matt, is uh, we started uh, with a little, we hit the ground running because of who made this movie and the sensibility that they put into it. You know, filmmakers with pedigree and, uh, and, and track records like Jason and, uh, and James know what they're doing in this space. And, uh, uh, you know, they, they found a new up-and-coming director in Gerard Johnstone and a, a really hot uh, horror writer in Akilah Cooper that just, it, 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 it was a great package. And they delivered us a movie that knew exactly what it was. Uh, it, it had the right sensibility. We knew uh, that this would probably be, uh, we, you know, from the earliest days, we said this is probably going to be the Internet's, uh, you know, favorite movie for for a certain amount of time. All right. So talk about that. So how, so th that's obviously you recognize that from the beginning. You know, yes. there's a camp factor here. You've got a killer doll. She looks like a Barbie and then goes nuts. Yep. And so, so do you do you and your team say, OK, how do we get this to go viral or is there really no science to that? Look, at, at the tail end of a success, I can certainly uh, try to say that there is a science to it, but uh, it's not a business plan. Trying to bet on virality is just, uh, it's, it's, not, it's something you can prepare for, but you can't actually create. You can't. All the consultants and all the agencies out there and the people who purport to say, I can get your tweet in front of 6 million people by tomorrow, none of that is real. It's all BS. Uh, look, they can get it, but then what happens, you know, Things that fascinate the internet have a very short shelf life, and so uh, it needs to be something that 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 the internet itself decides to kind of adopt and make their own and uh, and extend its uh, its life expectancy. So, look, we knew we had this dance, and uh, and when you look at the language of TikTok, dance is just fundamental to uh, to to what happens there from. Music, but also movies and TV shows. What's happened with the Wednesday Adams dance and the Matilda dance? These things. Uh, it, it's that it's that user generated uh, kind of engagement that we're all always looking for. Now, the case on a streamer is you can you can have those things go viral after you're already on air because right. uh, then you just have to go over to the streamer. We needed to create that before the movie came out, and uh, and so. You know, we had discussions of, uh, do you include the dance? Do you, you know, how much of the dance do you include? And how do you, how do you extend that? So, you know, part of it was song choice. Our first trailer was set to a Taylor Swift song. And our second trailer was set to a Bella Port song that already had a lot of equity on TikTok. So mm -hmm. you do your best and you package it and then you kind of gift it uh, out there and you hope uh, that, that it, it does exactly what happened in Megan's case. Sometimes it's completely organic, uh, like what we experienced last summer with the Gentle Minions phenomenon. Right, uh, I was going to ask know. about that, because I had conversations with, I think, you and some other people 
at Universal. I'm like, you guys have anything to do with this? And the, basically, you're like, I wish, you know, and <laughs> we'll take credit. But it just sort of happened. It was a perfect storm. Look, I, that, that movie came out a week earlier in Australia. And it was at the end of prom season. And all those kids had their formal wear. And it was a movie that they had grown up with. And they'd been in, you know, in the pandemic for a couple of years. They got to finally be with their friends again. And that's what they did. And then it just, you know, it exploded. So again, part of its preparation, part of its luck, uh, and, uh, and, and you do what you can. So, you know, in the case of Megan, it really was, okay. Uh, we dropped that first trailer in October and it, and it, and it did exactly what a marketer dreams that it would, that, that it would do. Uh, and then we got later in the year and it's like, how do you, how do you get this to, uh, to restart and also, how do you not just become a meme? Uh, and we well, were that's always- the thing. It's like it's e- it's it's not easy, but you can become a meme. Translating meme into that affirmative action of saying right. yes, I will pay my money and take my friends to see this movie. That is the bridge that a lot of people have trouble crossing. Uh, and we have. I don't. I don't want to say that you know we we have we have uh, cracked the code on this. And this really was a perfect storm, you know, of elements. But it's. Uh, but we were very mindful of. Uh, trying to find that balance of playful meme that then exactly like you said turns into movie going and uh, and what we knew was this movie was good and uh, and we knew that once it was seen and we wanted the holidays to kind of come and go and then occupy that first week of January when we can you know fill a void uh, after all of that business and then the review started uh, posting and we were like okay. Uh, it all comes together. And that's when we really saw ticket sales kind of take a big step up was that final week. As I think people were like, oh, this is fun. It has, it, it knows what it is, but it also looks like it, like it might actually be good. So, uh, so it was just a stacked deck and, uh, and, it, and it all did that. And it, th- there's a lot of ands in this campaign. We had a star in Allison Williams that was game to play. And, uh, and you know, when we deployed the dancing minion, uh, the, the dancing minion, the dancing Megans, uh, you know, she got it. And she did. She wasn't worried about being upstaged. Uh, she shared the space with them. She worked really hard. Uh, you know, it's upstaged uh, by the dancing Megans. It would have uh, been easy to do. I, look, she shared like her Jimmy Fallon no, appearance. With I know them, Christian with them, Bale so. is not going to stand for that. <laughs> <laughs> so, and so that was kind of our, our final, uh, bring Megan into the real world where, where those, uh, dancing Megans that look, we kind of developed them for the premiere and we saw the reaction that they got organically from there. And then, so we just put them on the street, uh, and, uh, and, and let them go. And that's also exactly what you're always trying to do is, uh, you know, do some sort of real world activation that. Uh, is delightful if you experience it in the real world, but then people want to post it and it starts to radiate out and really occupy the space. Yeah, I, I feel like that's it's more and more it's difficult to break through. So you're seeing more of these kinds of stunts. You know, I, I'm thinking back to what they did with Smile yeah. uh, in the fall with Paramount put those creepy people in the stands at sporting events. Brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. Well, it's also, Matt, uh, the the... This younger generation is really hard to reach with advertising. Uh, you know, they're not watching linear TV. They're not they they're really good at at av- uh, at avoiding advertising. And in fact, they're a little scornful of uh, of the heavy hand of marketing when they when they feel that. So when it can feel organic or when it can feel like content that they've discovered, I think it just has a different uh, a different value uh, to them. You still do big 
television buys for sure. movies like this though. So it's not like you guys have abandoned the 32nd spot. No. It's just that it it feels like there are diminishing returns for certain kinds of movies in in doing that, right? So so it hasn't gotten less expensive really. It's just you have to you have to go through all the motions and then on top of that it's actually more expensive because you still have to do those heavy lifting, very expensive things. And then you have to stack on top of those, uh, you know, in, in, in just a number of ways that are a lot more complicated than, than it was five years ago. Uh, so. And, and you, so you see big differences in marketing to Gen Z versus marketing to millennials. Yes. Interesting. Um, cause I feel like millennials also have different habits and you know they're still they're aging up now and they probably watch more television than they used to but their habits are very different than you know gen x people like me no when we had uh something like ticket to paradise we knew exactly how to reach that audience in very kind of well that's like boomers that's like my mom yeah (laughs) but it, it gets increasingly harder i think the younger you go you know whoever your core audience is right uh it's uh they're harder to reach and so I, look, I think this is also a case of uh, this is this generation's first homicidal doll movie. Every generation tends to have them. It's been <laughs> oh, it's such know, a moment, such a moment for all of us. <laughs> it's a classic, yes. uh, but it's almost 10 years since uh, since Annabelle and it's longer since Chucky. And, you know, this is a repeatable, refreshable uh, thing. So generally speaking, you know, we've we've talked about this for a decade now because uh, the 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 way social media impacts the marketing of movies. And I'm curious what you think. Is it possible to open a bad movie anymore? Like, uh, you know it's bad. It's coming out. Trains in, out of the station. And what do you do now with a bad movie? It used to be you just spend. You'd have a ton of ads. You would just hide it, hide it, hide it. And then it would come out and maybe you could get an opening weekend. Can you do that anymore? I don't think you can. I, I don't think you can do it nearly in the ways that you used to. And look, let's go actually way back in the days before social media, you could kind of get through opening weekend without that kind of smell, uh, you know, right. pervading. And and now you can't get to opening Friday and you definitely can't get until fr- to, through Friday night. Right. I, I've mentioned this on the show before, but the first time I noticed it, and I think I may have talked to you about this was back when Bruno opened. Do you remember that movie? Uh, do I remember it? It's actually called the Bruno effect uh, because uh, our early numbers on Bruno, you would think that movie was going to open to $50 million. It right. was, Sasha you know, Cohen, his first movie after Borat, after Borat. Exactly. And then as the day went on, it just started to crater. And, uh, and so now I again, I don't even think you get to Friday afternoon anymore. Uh, you know, people are just, uh, they're, they're, they're pretty good at, at, at sniffing that out. And, uh, and the tools to do so uh, are so widely available now uh, that it's, uh, it's hard to bullshit the masses in the, in the way that it used to be able to. And do you find that it's harder to reach these audiences post-COVID or in the COVID stage we're in right now? How has COVID changed your marketing campaigns? I think COVID just accelerated everything that was beginning to happen. I mean, you know this, you've, d- you've done a lot of shows yeah, on yeah. this. Uh, kind of the streaming revolution just got accelerated. And uh, and so habits changed. And people got really used to, to, to staying home. And they got really, uh, they understood that all the content in the world is a button push away, uh, you know, uh, at home. And so 
they don't have to go to the movies in, in the way that they used to. And so, you know, what we say is people used to go to the movies as a habit. And then our job was to get them to pick our movie over the other movies. Now our job is to get people to go to the movies and then pick our movie. And so it's, uh, yeah, I believe it is harder just, uh, and what we're finding is people uh, are going to fewer movies and they're going to the ones that they know are going to be are going to be worth the investment. So the big superhero movies that they're going to get their spectacle and their comedy and their family and all of that in one event. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And what are some specific things that you do? Because, you know, I've noticed one change to marketing is right now it's, it's right up front. Only in theaters. Yes. That's the first thing you often see. And yes. that was something that you didn't see pre-COVID because it was assumed. Because it was a movie. It, <laughs> it was a movie. You were watching an ad for a movie that it was right. probably coming out this weekend or the next weekend. And yeah. that's one change. So what do you do as a marketer that the average person may not notice to signal theatricality? Uh, big moments or big characters? You spend. Or you spend. I mean, we – look, and – we have to, we, we don't get to become a hit over two or three weeks. We have to be a hit on that first weekend or, right. or you're gone. And so we don't have that luxury of, uh, of discovery and, and pass along and all the, you know, it can still happen. The, uh, the rare occasion of an everything everywhere all at once can still happen, but mm-hmm. it's, but it's very, very rare. I, I would say one of the other things that you may not notice as a consumer, but I think was accelerated by the pandemic as well is Movie campaigns are much shorter than they used to be, almost uh, for for everybody. And uh, it's kind of the Netflix and streaming effect because they start marketing their 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 content about two or three weeks before it comes out. We live in this on-demand society where people are just ready to have it once they see it advertised. And so us taking a journey with a consumer over six to nine months, I just don't think happens anymore. And so well, with exceptions, you not- you're doing it for Oppenheimer right now. That's a very unique case, uh, you know, with a with a with a filmmaker who uh, has had a really good history doing things that way. And and his audience and his following kind of expects that. Mm-hmm. But uh, like it, Megan's a perfect example. We launched that campaign in October uh, for a movie that just came out in the first week of January. And that was even a little early for us. We just wanted to have a trailer on uh, on Halloween ends. And so. Uh, it may be a little imperceptible. Thor last summer had a campaign that I think was two months start to finish. And uh, so especially on the big branded things, you kind of don't have to do that anymore. But yeah, the way we stand out is, uh, you know, we, we, we talk a lot about what's the threshold of theatricality these days. And uh, it's, uh, it's higher than it's ever been. So yes, uh, it, making sure that they know that it's only in theaters. It's that exclusivity quotient, hopefully. And then, uh, and then you just uh, you spend a lot to try to feel like an event. 
And I imagine your voice is an important one in those green light conversations about theatricality. Okay, do we have a shot in theaters? And then they turn to you and they probably <laughs> say, okay, so what, what would you do with this? Yeah. How do you tell an audience that this is theatrical? I mean, sometimes it's easy. Chris Nolan, obviously. Jordan Peele, obviously. But sometimes it's not so easy. And you're, you know, I, I use the example of the Channing Tatum, Sandra Bullock movie from last year, um, yep. Lost City, I believe it's called, where that was a rom-com, but it had It was elements. an adventure movie, too. Exactly. Yeah. It had elements, just enough of the adventure stuff that you could put in a trailer that made it seem bigger. Now, when you watch explosions the movie- Explosions and Brad Pitt, and yes. And then Brad Pitt shows up, and then there's yeah. an explosion, and then there's, you know, uh, falling through the jungle. Like, there are things like that that you could put in the trailer. So are you at the very beginning of the process saying, okay, we can make this movie for theaters, but you got to add X- Y, Z, if you want people to go to theaters for this. Yeah. And look, you, you know, we, we are one of the kind of the last portfolio studios. And so, you know, Donna, uh, uh thank goodness ru still runs a place that, uh, that is invested in these things. And so we will have a ticket to paradise and a Megan and a cocaine bear and a Renfield, uh, you know, all in this, uh, all in this stretch, uh, I'm not sure. I wouldn't count myself as an oracle of any kind, but we sit closest to the audience. And so mm -hmm. that's where it all always starts. Like with Megan, there was, you know, the debate of what should it be rated? Should it be rated R for like really big horror intensity or should it be rated PG-13? So you're not disinviting kind of the younger audience that is probably going to be the, the most responsive to this. So it's in a bunch of different decisions, uh, Matt. It's in content. It's in you know, one of the great things about working with Blumhouse is we we sit with their scripts very early on and sometimes say we need a TV safe version of this moment or we need more more jump scare. You know, they're really good at uh, at inviting us into that process and and helping us for and helping them formulate what hopefully will be the most. Uh, the, yeah, the most marketable uh, idea. Do these younger consumers typically prefer harder R? or less gore? I think it depends on the movie. I think I think a movie like Megan had just a such a playful sense of fun that mm -hmm. uh, that people that want really hard horror weren't going to Megan, uh, you know, for that. They, they, you've got Barbarian, you've got, you know, you've got other things that can fulfill that. And, you know, there was a little bit of an online debate of does a PG-13 somehow invalidate this, uh, you know, as a horror movie. Right. But yeah, I could see a version of that. Like when I go to see Cocaine Bear, that thing better be R. Don't you worry. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It feels like it feels like a cop out a little bit. If you're going to sell me a movie called Cocaine Bear, it better have the goods. Yeah. Uh, trust me, it does. All right. All right. Good. So, yeah, but there's movies like, I think people forget, uh, The Ring and A Quiet Place and Insidious were all PG-13. You can still really deliver an intense experience uh, without going gory or, uh, or you know, to anything that is, uh, is, look, we have enough obstacles already that we talked about. Let's not add them to the audience. Right. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned that how, how campaigns have been sort of Netflixized, where they're shortened now. Um, one thing I've noticed over the past year, and I'm sure you are paying close attention, is that Netflix is marketing more of their films than they yep. used to. And I never understood that. You know, they're making dozens of films out there and just kind of dropping them on the service. And 
hoping the algorithm does its job and finds people. But, you know, I had Kevin Getz, the, the researcher on the show last yeah. week, and he was telling me that Get Out didn't test well when it was first tested. And it was the universal marketing campaign that properly contextualized the movie and telegraphed to the audience what it was so that when they saw it, they understood what Jordan Peele was doing, and then they really liked it in theaters. And yeah. I just feel like Netflix is finally catching on to the fact that marketing works. <laughs> uh, I hope, uh, you know, uh, but I think that's the th there's just so much content out there that we have to help educate the choice. Uh, and and yes, in two and a half minutes, make it its most both its most appealing, but also a little bit its most authentic version of itself. You know, we talked about being able to put the inability to fool the audience, uh, you know, so much uh, anymore. So part of it is making sure that, w yes, uh, all, all, all of what we do is is manufactured. Uh, absolutely. But it's it's trying to manufacture it in a way that when then if the person makes the choice to go see the movie, that it that it's the movie that they kind of expected from what we promised. Isn't this. A little depressing, though. I mean, when you think <laughs> about how some of these movies are sold and the fact that everything, everything seems to need a campy dance video to go viral <laughs> on TikTok to get an audience, is that is that does that depress you a little bit? I think that's an oversimplification. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, not every movie can have uh, uh, something like that that takes off in that space. But what we all have to do is go where the audience is. And for this audience, they're on TikTok. That's where they're spending their time. They're not watching, uh, you know, uh, Friday night TV on ABC that they were when I was growing up. Right. So, uh, look, this was a great opportunity that the, the elements in the film were perfect marketing elements as well. But not every movie has that. In fact, few do. And so... Sometimes you try to manufacture this stuff and you get rejected uh, by, by by the internet or the or, or by TikTok. They can just I think they can smell the kind of forgery uh, of it and uh, and and they just say no. All right. Well, luckily we have we have our own uh, twenty eight year old focus group here with Craig, producer Craig. Yeah. Uh, were you impressed by the Megan marketing campaign on TikTok? I was. It was. It was. Uh, I, I, you know, Wednesday. I feel like was the first real dancing hit, and then Megan came along and kind of uh, took it to another level. Um, I, I have a question for you, Michael. Nowadays, when something goes viral, the epicenter is often TikTok, right? That's the origin of yeah. of the viral post. Do you now focus a larger part of your marketing campaign for TikTok and prioritize getting your ads to work there more than anywhere else? We do. And look, it is not a it, it's not an advertising platform. Certainly they they advertise, but it's real easy to scroll right past a piece of advertising on TikTok. So, again, uh, you have to adapt. You have to speak that language when you when you're on that platform or else you'll just look like your dad's 30 second spot that, uh, you know, that, that that isn't interesting or or valid. Do you have TikTok experts? Do you have 24 year olds running around the office telling you what works? Yeah, uh, look, our digital team did a lot of innovating uh, on this campaign and uh, and is always doing that. There are definitely specialty vendors out there. Uh, and then there's Oh God, TikTok. I'm sure they bombard you. Oh yeah, uh, everyone, everyone's got the secret sauce for sure. But yeah. um, but TikTok itself will come in and, and they meet with us and they and give us best practices of here, here's what works, here's what you should be doing. But then once everybody starts imitating that, it all becomes generified and the same again. So it's always trying to stay 
one step ahead of uh, of of what what just becomes uh, kind of common practice. So, is there a cocaine bear dance? <laughs> uh, not yet, but uh, but but we're just getting Craig, started. So. Craig's on there right now, creating one. <laughs> All right, Michael, thank you for coming on the show. Appreciate your insights. Yeah, appreciate it. All right, we are back with the call sheet. Craig, I know you watched the Golden Globes. Don't say you didn't. I did. Of course, I ate it up. Yeah, I, I was texting with you. I thought it was fine. The big win for the Globes is they're back. They're on TV. People showed up. It was not a total disaster. I know a lot of the critics out there thought it was kind of a weird show. Some of the winners weren't there. Uh, Gerard Carmichael, kind of polarizing. I thought he was fine. Monologue was fine. Like some of the jokes. Shelly Miscovich, great Scientology joke in the middle of the show. Big winner, Shelly Miscovich. Big winner, Shelly Miscovich. Uh, but I don't know. My prediction is I think this is good enough for the Globes to come back. Someone will buy this show. The ratings, the, we, we're taping this before the official ratings are out. The early signs are that the numbers are not good. will be around the ratings for the COVID Globes, which got 6.9 million viewers. Um, this could be around that or even a little lower. But I think it's fine. This is someone, maybe, probably not NBC, but someone will pick up this show. Yeah, I think we just need to look at award shows differently now. They're no longer kind of a massive draw to mass audiences. They're a bit of a niche product for people who love movies. But I still think they do their job in some respect. They still promote movies that people haven't seen yet or maybe haven't heard of and allow people to go online and see where they can see them, whether it's in the theaters or on streaming services. So uh, although it's not the same as it used to be, I mean, there's still a place for award shows in my mind, and uh, I still enjoy them. I agree. You know, my parents watched and they were asking about the movies. So like that helps. And you know, they, they, you're right. The, the weird thing about this year's crop of winners is that it's not going to really help any of them in theaters. Like the Fablemans has been in theaters for two months now. And yeah, they'll probably add some theaters this weekend, but it's probably not going to do that much. I mean, everything everywhere is long gone from theaters. Banshees of Inisherin is on HBO max at this point. Uh, you know, Black Panther obviously is still in theaters, but I don't think anyone's going to go or not go based on whether Angela Bassett won a Golden Globe. So we're not going to have that narrative where movies that are platforming out their release go bigger the weekend after the Globes because people now know about them and then will show up. And there's, you know, there's a long history of movies getting that bump in theaters. And I don't think we're going to see that this year. But it is going to help for the Oscar voting, which begins on Thursday. And that's really the goal of all of these people. They're at the Globes because they want to get attention, because they want people to vote for them for the Oscars. And I think Fablemans does get a bump here in the Oscar race because of the Globes win. I think Banshees is a, is a pretty big winner, too. I mean, especially because that movie is so easy to watch Agreed. right now on HBO. Totally agree. And, you know, the, it sort of clarifies the races in the other categories, too. You know, the Guillermo del Toro movie, Pinocchio, is probably now the front runner for the animated Oscar because he won here. And, you know, the Globes, people like to crap on them, but they are influential in that they put the spotlight on some of these movies. Um, and I think, you know, it's interesting. Netflix just announced that they're taking on the SAG Awards in 2024. So I think that might take Netflix out of the race for the Globes, although I guess they could have both. But um, someone will probably buy this. And I, I, it'll be interesting to see over the next four to six months who takes a swing at this because they're going to start negotiating ASAP to try to capitalize on some of this buzz. I hope someone does. 
Yeah, we'll see. All right, that's the show for today. I want to thank my guest, Michael Moses. I want to thank producer Craig Holbeck. And I want to thank you. We'll see you later this week. 